But you don't know me. Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to You Don't Know Me, a podcast about people you don't know. I'm your host, Veeps, and today we have a brand new guest on the show who also happens to be the mayor of Clarkston, Georgia. We have Mayor Ted. Hey, everyone. Mayor Ted here. (laughs) And you don't know me. (laughs) Not yet, at least. (laughs) So we have actually a lot of material to cover today. Uh, Mayor Ted has been doing some really, really interesting work in Clarkston. Um, You know, this isn't actually his full-time job, which I learned today. Being a mayor apparently is only a part-time gig. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about kind of your background, how you ended up in politics, because you're a pretty young dude, right? Uh, yeah, I'm 34 years old. I was elected uh, mayor of Clarkston when I was 30. Wow. And when I was 17 years old, I knew I wanted to run for office one day. How did you know that at 17? <laughs> well, uh, actually, I got involved in the 2000 campaign. I actually volunteered for Ralph Nader in Florida in 2000, uh, which turned out to be a really bad bad decision. Um, <laughs> but I did it for an extra credit assignment, and I did it to meet a girl. So oh. to me, it made Where all, it all the begins sense when in you're the world. 17, right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so you know, I just I got the political bug. Mm-hmm. It was it was fun to meet new people, and uh, I didn't even know this idea of like talking policy, but you know, yeah. like having ideas and trying to solve problems. Turns out that's what policy making is, and so I knew I wanted to run for office when I was 17 years old, but n- had no experience on policy, yeah. politics, campaigning, anything like that. So I'm like, all right, let me figure out how to do this. And so what so happened between that, then and, and 30, 30 when you got actually elected? Like what mm-hmm. was, was mayor like the first, was that the first office that you held or? Yeah. Mayor's my first office. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked for state house, state Senate candidates and senators and house members um, over the past, you know, 17 years, uh, worked, worked for a U.S. congressman, uh, worked for school board members, county commissioners, city cool. council members, you know, ran campaigns, you know, did fundraising for campaigns, worked for nonprofits, for environmental groups, for labor yeah. groups, um, for human rights organizations. And so I, I really did every aspect of policy campaigning, mm-hmm. organizing, fundraising, you know, voter targeting. Um, so you really field. learned trial by fire, right? <laughs> I, I just, I rolled up my sleeves and said, I'm going to do this as my life. And so, uh, you know, the more you practice anything, the better you get at it. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I knew I wanted to run, but really just didn't, you know, it's kind of timing and opportunity and patience. Mm-hmm. I tell a lot of our young, like, you know, progressives out there. So, you know, just be patient, be patient. Um, you know, longevity. <laughs> Uh, patience and longevity is a virtue in politics uh, because at some he point we don't have darn <laughs> right. <laughs> so eventually, someone will you know retire or die, uh, <laughs> Just and wait for them to die. you know <laughs> you never know when that's going to happen. And so uh, you know you just you got to be prepared, yeah. you know, for it. Um, and so uh, that's kind of what I did was just to prepare myself and just then, wait for someone to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait wait for myself to be you know in a a, a city that yeah. where the mayor you know just was kind of was rude you know and yeah. didn't really care about people's problems mm-hmm. and you know I was always like I was around a lot of really great 
politicians and not not and some not so great politicians over those 17 years. So when you see sort of how the best operate and you see how some of the worst operate, yeah. you know, it's easy to emulate the ones you feel like, you know, really did a great job and were amazing public servants. And so I just kind of took that to heart. And so when I see someone abusing their power or, you know, just providing poor public service, you know, the response that I have in my my, my heart and my bones is, you know, to hold people accountable. And if they don't uh, do what they say they're going to do, then, you know, call you, you call, them, call out. them out and you challenge them. And, uh, and if you have See, to run I against them, I just can't do all these. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone has their role in campaigns yeah. and, and, and so there's behind the scenes people, mm-hmm. there's people who are out front, there's people who do the policy. I mm-hmm. mean, it's, it's a team effort. Um, so yeah, so I, this is my fourth year as mayor up for election um, later this November. Wow. So get out and vote, people of Clarkston. Um, but, oh, okay, kind of curious here. Are you originally from Georgia? I grew up in Tallahassee, Florida. I uh, went to school at the University of Florida with a degree in food science and human nutrition. Um, Interesting. So I, you know, started off college as I'm going to be a nutritionist and I'm help people, you know, eat healthy and be healthy and mm-hmm. Uh, and then a month into my freshman year, September 11th happened, um, and it sort of just like completely changed my world. Because I was already kind of political, but it made yeah. my political involvement just like Skyrocket. shoot up a thousand percent. And I spent you know almost three years protesting the Bush administration, the secret energy task force they put together of all the fossil fuel companies of the Afghanistan war and the Iraq war. Secret. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. back up. Secret. Energy task force? Oh, yeah, that was Dick Cheney's vice president. That was one of his first jobs when he was uh, vice president is to put together an energy task force. And it basically had all the energy and fossil fuel companies. (laughs) And they met uh, in secret to hash out the future of America's energy. They didn't invite any environmental groups <laughs> so, or, you know, or other scientists you know, or like things you. like that that would have, you know, something to say about it. Um, but that was just par for the course for the Bush administration. Um, kind of miss them a little bit now, you know, <laughs> that we're in the Trump administration. We see them with rose colored glasses now. <laughs> <laughs> like I wish Bush was back. Um, but no, I spent, you know, almost four years or, you know, over almost three, three and a half years, uh, protesting, you know, this in the streets, doing rallies and, and then, you know, Bush got reelected and I was like, dang it, you know, I need to kind of roll. I need to like get a little deeper into this policy and politics stuff because just it's interesting that it inspired noise you to doing do that, it. right? Um, because they think, I think a lot of people too, who are really like emboldened and passionate about politics, they, they get a little bit burned out, right? When you see so many things repeatedly happen time and time again, right? So I feel like there's a very real phenomenon of alienation that happens I think with especially like our generation but mm-hmm. that didn't happen for you um, have you ever like hit a point like that hit a wall where you were like well, what am I doing with my life like why am I doing this nothing ever changes you know <laughs> um, God, you know um, I actually when I first moved to Atlanta mm-hmm. um, I came up here to do my nutrition program or to finish it out, um, but then decided like halfway through that I'm not going to do this anymore. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to focus on you know yeah. politics and mm-hmm. campaigning. And so I actually I was a canvasser for the Sierra Club ten years ago, wow. uh, almost almost actually eleven years ago this year, um, and knocked on doors, you know, getting signatures mm-hmm. for the this crazy idea called the Beltline way back. Oh, that's so cool. In 2006, and I remember. Um, well, we, we were, it was fundraising canvassing mm-hmm. and it was petition gathering. So you talk to a lot of people, you talk to you know, hundreds of people in a day mm-hmm. and you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. 
you know. Oh, yeah, and I did it, a little bit of that for a little while in Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> it's grueling. It's not for everybody. No. Um, and ninety percent of the people sort of kind of burn out fade or, out, or yeah. fade out because they're like, I don't want to talk to people every day. Yeah. Um, I thought it was kind of fun actually. Um, yeah. And I developed this um, this sort of relentlessly optimistic spirit. <laughs> Um, and I think sometimes you have to be beat down a little bit just to develop that. <laughs> the resiliency comes with it. Yeah, well, but that's the thing is, um, you know, if you know what to, if you kind of know what the odds are. Mm-hmm. You know, you sort of know what you're getting yourself into, then you're okay with rejection mm-hmm. or negativity because you know it's just part of what's going to happen. Part of the course. It's, yeah. if, if you go into, you know, doing politics or, you know, any sort of grassroots type of activity and you expect that everyone that you talk to is going to be like, yay, I'll sign that, I'll donate, you know, then you're, then what's the, we're not doing, then there's no point in having this kind of, you know, yeah. profession. The whole pr- pr- purpose of it is to persuade people to change their paradigm. And so, you so know, you I, want I would have people who disagree with you like that's that's really the meat of what you're doing right <laughs> well yeah well it's twofold right because uh <laughs> yes there's a persuasion part and there's a get out the vote you know part where you try yeah. to find your the people you support um but i just remember having so identify many... your demographic branch out yeah yeah so like you know we, i would i would have we'd have these nights where you know i would knock on you know hundreds of doors and no one would make a donation or only a few people would sign the petition mm-hmm. and and then like the last you know door of the night you know i'd be like it'd be raining and it's cold and like i'm tired i'm gonna end this night you know in the dark and it's gonna be sad i'm like oh, let me just knock on one more door you know and so many times like i had those moments sort of throughout like working on this canvas mm-hmm. where like the the last like couple of people would just be like come right in like, let me get you some, you know, something warm to eat, and let me let me write you oh, a check wow. for five hundred dollars. You know, the Sierra Club. I love the Sierra Club. And we'll, yes, we'll sign the Beltline petition. Um, and so, you know, there's I think there's something to be said about sort of, um, you know, this this idea of uh, you know that's I think gained a lot more notoriety lately of uh, like attracts like. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you kind of like sort sort of have that mindset, <laughs> you know that you know this is going to be um, that you're going to just you know sort of keep putting out that effort. Or keep putting out that good energy that the right people will will, find will, will show up mm-hmm. um, and you know the patience part that I was talking about patience and longevity yeah. you know the patience part is key because it's not like the universe is interested in your timeline um, the universe has its timeline um, but you can bend it you know towards you um, that's, really, if, that's if a you great wait. way to put that the universe doesn't care about your timeline <laughs> like yeah. I mean yeah. the, universe the universe is impartial right yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we're, we're, we're in the molecular sense we're very insignificant yeah um, but you know I mean so and then you know the longevity part is just you know being you know just being healthy so that was like that's where the nutrition part and exercise comes in just, just be healthy you know um, at some point in the next, maybe in our lifetimes, I'm sure they'll develop like, you know, organ replacement, you know, therapy mm-hmm. or something. So when we might live to be 150 years old, um, it's very possible. Uh, <laughs> I want that because I feel like I'm still like 12, you know, so I feel like I need more time. I'm not there yet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope 150 years, fingers crossed. Yeah, no hurry. No hurry. <laughs> I think we'll be all right. So um, obviously... There are other factors here that kind of make your situation a little bit unique. Yes, you're really young and you're a mayor and you kind of identified this passion early on, early on but I'm, I'm sure all of you listeners have noticed that we live in Georgia and Georgia tends to be a very red state and you are a what you a self-proclaimed Bernie crat. <laughs> kind of like a yes. blueberry swimming in a sea of tomato soup. <laughs> I don't know how to explain Bernie it. would have done really well in Georgia, I think. Yeah, I think I think he was a change <laughs> candidate, you know that people would have really gotten behind, yeah. 
I agree. But um, so talk to me a little bit about that. What's what's been kind of your experience, mm-hmm. you know, being a Democrat in in Georgia? Yeah, well, I, mean, I was a Democrat in Florida. Um, actually, I was. Let me take that back. I was uh, president of the Green Party at the University of Florida mm-hmm. when I was in college, and mm-hmm. so um, you know, it just it was one of those things where my um, my principles and ideology at that time um, really lined up with the Green Party. Yeah. Um, I didn't agree a lot with what Jill Stein had to say this this um, election cycle. Um, you know, which is why I was a big supporter of Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, there's there's a spectrum in politics, and you know, being a quote unquote Democrat in Georgia kind of depends on where you are and. Yeah you know, who you are and what, you know, did you grow up there? And so if you go to like Savannah, you know, the Democrats down there are more conservative. Um, if you mm-hmm. come up to Atlanta, the Democrats clearly are more, you know, progressive. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I see the Republicans in Atlanta, you know, this, are pretty this, progressive. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say progressive, but they're just not as, um, you know, um, sort of, um, uh, maybe more fundamentalist or traditional, yeah. um, a little bit, maybe a little bit more interest in science and, mm-hmm. You know, less interested in chauvinism and sexism being displayed by the commander in chief. Um, yeah. You know, so so uh, in Clarkston, Clarkston's a pretty democratic area already. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, having these politics in the city is sort of less of a controversial thing. However, when when our city sort of makes policies that are progressive that may be at odds with the state law, which clearly state law is very conservative Mm. and the governor's conservative, Um, or we make proclamations like we will be welcoming to Syrian refugees. And then the governor says, well, we're not going to take any Syrian refugees. You know, this is sort of, this is, this is a fight that sort of boiled up about two years ago. Yeah. Well, it was played as a fight. I was just playing it as a, you know, look, this is our principles of welcoming and compassion. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're going to just proclaim that. It's not you know anything a diss against the governor or anybody else it's just this is what we've always stood for this is what we always stood for and so you know and so it turned into and i think in the media of you know clarkston's ready to accept refugees in defiance of Mm -hmm. governor deal you know and um and so this this sort of controversy sparked up because um, people were uh, concerned that Syrian refugees were, you know, were going to come to America, and ISIS terrorists were going to infiltrate the Syrians, and they were going to, you know, plant yeah. bombs and create chaos, and you know, not not fully understanding, you know, sort of this extreme vetting that already goes on. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about like sixteen different layers of security, and um, you know, eight different um, agencies, including the CIA and the FBI and the Homeland Security Department, um, all doing these sort of checks and then rechecks and. If any at any point along these sixteen steps, mm-hmm. you know, you misstep or do something wrong, it kind of is a disqualifier. And we're talking about one percent of the sixty million people that are internally displaced or refugees around the world actually end up getting resettled. So this is a and drop that's not in just the in the U.S. too. The one percent just this, in yeah, general seven, resettled. Yeah, there's seventeen countries, uh, including the U.S., that participate in the United Nations resettlement program. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of so them. We're a fraction of a percent. We're just a, we're a fraction of a percent. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, America yeah. has taken in less refugees um, uh, lately. Um, now over the course of refugee resettlement. America has been very generous. I mean, we have we've resettled millions of people going all the way back to the Vietnam War um, mm-hmm. and the aftermath there. And in fact, actually, it was a, a Republican governor from Iowa that convinced Jimmy Carter to sign or to pass and to sign the legislation called the Refugee Act of 1980, which actually formalized the process for the UN to bring refugees over here. It sort of really set up the extreme vetting. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then, you know, other 
other layers were added along the way. Um, and so, you know, we had people, I got all these nasty grams from people on the internet saying, you know, you're going to bring Sharia law, you know, <laughs> you know, to Clarkston. And this one guy called me cause you know, in Clarkston, we, um, it's a small city and a mm-hmm. uh, small staff and I don't, I don't have a mayor's office. The mayor's office is me and my iPhone. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so when anyone calls city hall, you know, I just tell people, Hey, just, Give them, give them my cell phone. And, yeah. and so you never know what you're going to get. That's the exciting thing about being mayor. You know, <laughs> and you never know who's going to call you. And so this one gentleman That's called me. Brave. I know. Well, hey, I knocked on doors uh, for six true. months. And, yeah. you know, so it's exciting, actually, because it is fun. You know, I recognize I have appreciation. And as the as I've been uh, educated by our Nepalian Bhutanese um uh, refugee neighbors, uh, the like rough translation of namaste mm-hmm. is, you know, the light in me sees the light in you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you have like enough, if you have a, a basic, a fundamental approach to anyone, any human being out there that they're worthy of, of time and attention and, and respect and compassion, yeah. then, you know, surprisingly, a lot of times people will recognize that, mm-hmm. appreciate that, and it turns into something that, you know, never would have, uh, you know, gone anywhere except, uh, a, you know, a, a pissed off person or a slam door. And so I had this one gentleman yeah. call me, and he said, Mayor, you know, I don't like you ha- take, taking in all those Syrian refugees, and I'm telling you, we're going to have a, you know, Sharia law in a matter of months if you let these refugees in. And I said, sir, let me just stop you right there. Because as long as I'm mayor, we will never have Sharia law in Clarkston. We follow the Constitution. And immediately the conversation turned into, you know, something that was much more calm. He he calmed down. He he said, well, I really appreciate you saying that because I was really worried. Yeah. I was really worried that we were going to have the Sharia law. And I don't, I don't, and he didn't understand what Sharia law meant or what it meant. But to him, it was, you know, that's basically why, part of why it's so frightening, right? Is people don't understand it. I they mean, don't understand it. And so there, I, you know, there are parts I, that are a little, you know, that, that are definitely disconcerting to Americans. I think even if you do understand it, but like, because it's just so different. Right. So, yeah. Well, he was most afraid of a politician, you know, allowing this to happen, you know? And so, you know, it, t- it changed the tenor of the conversation to kind where of like we underlying could, it's the social contract that he feels that he has basically with, you know, our government. And yeah, I can understand that. That's actually yeah. a really interesting perspective. I've, yeah. I've never thought about it quite like that. I mean, if you, you know, it was interesting. I was kind of doing my own little sort of focus group there because this was uh, 2015 and Trump had really just, you know, announced he was running for president. And, you know, as we found almost a year later, you know, in the run up to the election and really after the election is a lot of Trump voters, you know, voted for Trump because they felt like Hillary Clinton or the Democratic Party or just politicians in general didn't take their concerns seriously. Or didn't think that they were acknowledging, you know, basically saying that they were, you know, you know, th- that they were backwards or that they were stupid or um, they were not, you know, so, yeah. you know, and, and that's not to say that that's what Hillary Clinton said or any other Democrat said, but that's what kind of came across. And so and there, went, there is a problem with that in liberal media. You know, I, me being a liberal, I do recognize that that is a problem. I think it, it's the very like, um, almost like the fear I feel like on the left of um, an anti-intellectual movement, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah, so. uh, yeah condescension in politics is is deadly. Um, voters... I'm even really guilty of this, so this is a good wake-up call for me. So I think, 
yeah. that's great. I mean, I think yeah. even in, in the show, and I apologize because I do think that seeps into it. I mean, I, for people who have been listening to this, there are a couple of offhand comments. You know, just yeah. everybody that's on it tends to be liberal, right? Yeah. Um, now I do I do draw the line a little bit, or I take exception or allow exception for satire because I think <laughs> satire is so crucial in a democracy and a republic. Um, and you know, people get onto John Stewart or Stephen Colbert or Bill Maher or just you know, or John Oliver, all these like you know, Trevor Noah, all these sort of satirists that do news and kind of they spend most of their time making fun of Republicans, really, yeah. and conservatives. Um, and I've had people say, "Oh, they're just being so mean." It's like, yeah, no, it's a comedy show. Like it's satire. It's not meant to be mean. It's meant to like, you know, and like to, to make you think about something differently. Yeah. And if you're so offended by that and so close-minded, then maybe it's hitting too close to home. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, so so we've kind of jumped straight into sort of the refugee issue, and and that's part of the reason why we wanted to bring you on is um, you guys are are in such a pivotal place, I think, for Georgia, such a specific area there that's doing a very specific thing, right? Um, but can you talk to me a little bit about kind of the history of Clarkson and and how it ended up being a refugee resettlement community and and really how that happened? Because I I don't know much about that. Yeah, so I mean, you know, the uh, a couple things, uh, the uh, Refugee Act of nineteen. 1980 really formalized that refugee resettlement process. Um, at that point, from, from really the 1981 through the through the 80s, uh, America received hundreds of thousands of Vietnamese refugees. Um, a lot of people who'd fled South Vietnamese um, uh, once the North took over and, yeah. and America, you know, the the last helicopter left Saigon, um, and and so the the biggest influx at first were Vietnamese refugees Mm -hmm. um and the way the program is designed is sort of a per capita every state gets a per capita you know share and so georgia you know just typically speaking has gotten you know been between 10 and 20th in terms of ranking of receiving the most refugees over that time period um, just because our population's grown right so so right now we're like number eight per capita in terms of refugee resettlement wow i did not know Um, that and our population is like eighth eighth or ninth uh so you know, that's it's just it's very it's a very bureaucratic <laughs> way of doing things. Um, that's really interesting because I, I still I would have never known that we were number eight, right? I would have assumed that like other places would have been. I don't, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's it's. I mean, I've I've learned a lot um, since being mayor. I've really gone to school on all these issues because I have to deal with them. And um, the uh, so every state gets refugees except. Uh, I believe Idaho. Uh, one one state doesn't participate in the program, um, and most of the resettlement sort of areas tend to be around capital cities mm-hmm. um, and metro- so. large metropolitan areas um, with access to, you know, that have high demand for jobs or affordable housing. Um, you know, it's, so Atlanta had been a the metro Atlanta region had been a resettlement area really since the beginning of the yeah. Refugee Act. And and quite frankly, actually, even before that, I mean, we, we had Jewish refugees that came yeah. here, not formally, you know, through a process, but, you know, fled, yeah. you know, Eastern Europe um, in the 40s and 50s. Um, and so uh, Clarkston was one of those places that refugees got resettled, mm-hmm. East Point, Marietta, Sandy Springs, Atlanta. You know, they got resettled all over Atlanta because at the time there was multiple resettlement agencies. Um, and, there, and there still are multiple And this was today. right at the, kind of the inception of the, the Refugee Act, right? That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, but over the years, so you go into the late 80s and early 90s and you, the Vietnamese sort of refugees have been kind of cleared out. Like that's, they've already been resettled for the most part. Um, But then you um, have 
conflicts in Ethiopia, Ethiopian civil war between Eritrea and Ethiopia, the Somalian civil war in the early 90s. Uh, you know, everyone maybe of our age range has heard of, you know, saw the movie Black Hawk Down, yeah. you know, and about that conflict in Mogadishu. I mean, that that civil war literally just kind of came to a conclusion with a new president being elected, yeah. like like two months ago, right? And so, crazy. So, so we've been receiving Somalians really since the early 90s, mm. um, even to this day, Somalians are still coming in because there are literally millions of people in Kenya who have been there since they who fled Somalia displaced. 25 years ago. And they, it's, it's, it's just a whole other, you know, society that lives in this refugee camp in Kenya. Mm. Um, and so, you know, so you can but sort of... But this will continue, right? Like, even at the, say this, this, this war just ended two months ago, for like 10 years, we're going to still see people come through right that were affected by this or displaced by this like i've, I've yeah. from what i've heard it, it seems like it's not something that just concludes in that you know mm-hmm. everyone goes home yeah it, it it's the refugee crisis has only gotten worse um mm-hmm. it is by modern estimates the worst refugee crisis in modern history um by you know in terms of just the millions of people i think it's argue, arguably the the most number of people you know, ever in the history of the world, of human history. Uh, we're talking about, you know, 20 million plus refugees and the 60 million internally displaced people. So we're getting up into the, you know, we're getting close to 100 million people that are, you know, have had to leave their homes, yeah. you know, and with, with only what they can carry on their backs um, and be in danger or be in persecution or, um, or you know, be facing the effects of climate change. I mean, this is why yeah. actually, you know, ISIS is is a huge concern and mm-hmm. radicalization, extremism in the Middle East and parts of East Africa are huge c- c- concerns because they're causing these conflicts which are displacing you know millions of people. Um, but you you layer on climate change effects into that. You know, right now there are five major droughts happening in the world right now, mm-hmm. and if you are a subsistence farmer. As many people were in Syria, you know, six years ago, and you suffered the worst drought in a generation, and you've lost everything, you have to, you know, you're you're basically unemployed, and yeah. you've moved into the city, and you're not unha- you're unhappy with the the way the way the government's handling the situation, and so you have an Arab Spring, and then the government government shoots bullets and kills people for protesting peacefully, and then it turns into violence against violence. And then, you know, five years later, we have a civil war and, you know, yeah. almost 10 million people who have either died, fled, or um, been displaced in Syria alone. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the United Nations High Commission on Refugees has projected that there are about 400 million people that are in the, you know, the sort of the 20 foot sea level rise uh, range, yeah. um, just on the coast. Um, and then that's not even including droughts or floods or other, and most governments know, are induced. not either a, not capable of necessarily dealing with this. Don't have the, really the ability or the infrastructure to, yeah. and there are very few. I mean, I think there are only a few island nations that are buying up land in other places to be mm-hmm. able to, to move their, to move, yeah. their populations because yeah. they're going to be directly affected. And, but so few countries are actually dealing with climate change and yeah. think about, like you said, like how massive an impact this is going to be. I'm really glad that you touched on this because I think this is super important, right? Is that climate change doesn't just mean that people are going to be hungry and they leave. It means that it can lead to instability and revolt and um, political instability as well. So it's not Mm -hmm. one tidy, 
you know, packaged up little issue that's separate that we can isolate anymore. Yeah. And you have to, you have to view these, these numbers as individual people and just Mm -hmm. think about if you were in that situation, if it was your, if you were a mother or a father and you had grandparents and children and grandchildren and you had a, a way of life and it was completely disrupted, like just like, just say your life right here in Atlanta was completely disrupted. You know, would it be surprising you know, I mean, would anyone would anyone be surprised that you would not fight like hell to preserve your family or your way of life or to survive? Exactly. And so if you just multiply the millions and millions that, you know, are in refugee status, um, you can see where it becomes complete. It can get out of control real fast in mm-hmm. some of these countries who, you know, are already sort of um, – uh, kind of weak democracies yeah. or, you know, or, 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 or poor, poor countries are, are still developing. I mean, heck, even in like San Diego and Miami, I mean, they're already experiencing climate change flooding. Yeah. And, you know, the, the taxpayers there, you know, it's estimating, you know, billions of dollars in infrastructure spending just to keep the sea at bay in yeah. Miami and Miami Beach alone. And they have and, money. You and know, they have the stability. Yeah, they, they, they have money. I mean, kind of. I mean, but, you know, if you're, if, if you're a if you talk to some conservatives um, who are in power, you know, they'll say, well, you know, I mean, you know, if, if people can afford to reinforce their own properties, then, you know, it's too bad that those other places get flooded. I mean, that's, you know, that was yeah. sort of, that was the aftermath of, of Katrina, <laughs> you know, in New Orleans. It's just, yeah. you know, the, the, some of the parts of New Orleans were, were taken care of um, ahead of that flood. That's, um, that's interesting. I, knew that but not really like mm-hmm. you don't ever like say that out loud i feel like this is this yeah. is again it was not an equitable, very... it was not an equitable flood yeah um so you know you know if climate change happens i guarantee you that mar-a-lago is gonna be you know sandbagged up mm-hmm. <laughs> you know or, or seawalled up um and um and so you know the but this uh, is again this is a really important thing that i think people don't talk about right because with our political culture, it's still okay for us to ignore it, right? It's still okay to like push it off and like not deal with it. But like this is very real and this is going to have beyond just like, yes, our environment is changing and we have to deal with this as a country, but like this is also gonna have socioeconomic like impact that we can't even foresee right yet. Like we have no concept of what this is gonna look like in 10 years. There are going to be so many unintended consequences and probably a lot of instability even within the U.S., like even within the countries that we don't think are going to be directly affected by it. Like this is very real. We're going to get we're going to get pulled into more conflicts. Um, I mean, if you think about so is the craziest thing about this last election is that President Trump, you know, ran on a non-interventionist platform and. And then when he sees, you know, some Syrian children being gassed, all of a sudden he's had an epiphany and we have to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And so it's not clear, like when you look at the public opinion of polls, people say they don't want to intervene in other countries and we yeah. should just stay, we should just keep it, you know, take care of America first. Um, there's still a large political will out there. And I'm in that camp that we need to be helping people who are less fortunate, who are, um, you know, under the Geneva, we have an international treaty, the Geneva Conventions, you know, stipulate that, you know, these countries that are in it have to help out other nations, mm. you know, because when these crises happen, when these, when there's migrating, you know, fleeing people, um, you know, not because it's their fault, because of something that's happened yeah. that they can't control. And so, um, you know, the question becomes is how much money do we spend as a nation 
doing that to help yeah. other nations. Yeah. Um, and it begins to get a, a lot more expensive and, you know, becomes, you know, it's, it creates more political tensions, I think, because we have our own, you know, budget issues here in, mm-hmm. in America. Yeah. This is messy business. I mean, I, I think I get frustrated sometimes when I, I will say that having studied political science, one thing I did learn from that is I don't have an answer. <laughs> And the more I learned, the more frustrated I got with there is no, like, right, clear-cut answer. Yeah. Well, I think Churchill said it best. Democracy is the worst form of government, yep. except all others. <laughs> yeah. Except when you compare it to everything So else. it's like, I mean, let's just, let's just start with, a, you know, a basic recognition that everyone has an important voice to be this, that, yeah. that, you know, it needs to be heard, and everyone will express that voice in yeah. their own way, and everyone has the freedom to express that voice. If you don't want to express it, you don't have to. You, you really should vote, and you really should get politically involved, because mm-hmm. if you don't, then the people who have all the money... Um, and the, and, the, and the dark money, uh, thanks to Citizens United, will control everything, and they will screw all of us. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's climate change, or if it's terrorism, or if it's tax cuts, or if it's healthcare. You know, if, if people, you know, if the people in power can keep power and keep their shareholders happy and their profits up, they will do it. And so, guys, this is coming from a mayor. <laughs> like, you got to listen. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, this yeah. is also more terrifying it's, because it's coming from a mayor. The politicians need to realize that you know it's not it's not their seat; it's the people's seat. Yeah. Right. And so there's nothing you know you shouldn't you can't take any any of that for granted, um, which um, happens both both ways. Politicians yeah. can't take it for granted, and then voters take it take Definitely. their vote for granted, yeah. and then apathy, and then you have you know a 17 percent turnout for you know, mayor of Atlanta, <laughs> you know, the last election. So, yeah, you know, this, I'm, I think the turnout will be higher this, this time though, cause there's so many people running and yeah. Yeah. So fingers crossed. Let's get to that 25% guys. <laughs> that would be a record. That'd be, that'd be good. No, I think it's actually gone higher than that, but yeah. But for a long time, <laughs> yeah. it's been a, that's not a great trajectory that we're on, but again, it can all be fixed, right? Hopefulness. Yes. Relentlessly optimistic. There you go. Relentlessly Mm -hmm. optimistic. Okay, cool. So we've talked about kind of like how you ended up here, you know, obviously the current political situation. Um, One thing I do want to delve into in a little bit is is some of kind of um, maybe some like misconceptions. We kind of touched on this a little bit with like refugees and and what you wish people knew and things like that. Um, But before we get into that, I'm kind of really curious about what your priorities are like right now in the current moment. For Clarkson specifically, yeah. So, uh, gosh, a couple of things. Um, uh, I've been pushing for some. Uh, every month is different. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a new thing to work on. Um, so, what's happening right now? We, um, you know, we're redoing our patio seating ordinance. <laughs> which <laughs> sounds really, you know, like boring. I bet um, it gets a lot of people up in arms, though. They, I, I remember in Raleigh, North Carolina, a friend of mine lives there, and they like. We're trying to get away from, get do away with all the outdoor seating, and everybody was so up in arms about this. <laughs> yeah, it's well, we're the exact opposite because like the the ordinance for years, and this is I don't even know how it got to be written this way, but it's just so restrictive, it's so draconian that no one can have patio seating. Yeah, and you know, I mean, it's Atlanta, like we have like some of the best weather, you know, in spring and in mm-hmm. fall, and it's the best time to go out and have a cup of coffee or yeah. a beer outside, outside you know yeah. and enjoy the weather and uh and so you know it's like we're rewriting it so people can have you know some of our 
coffee shops can have a table outside. So when you come to downtown Clarkston in a couple months, you know, we'll have cafes that'll have some tables and chairs outside, you which would, is great. Okay, again, it seems like a small <laughs> thing, but but this is actually kind of a big deal, right? Because yeah. one of the, and again, it was, it was like a TED Talks or something I was listening to, and they were talking about how we should better design our cities for quality of life in addition mm-hmm. to functionality, right? Um, and like this guy was creating something called um, uh, beautiful maps or something like that. Like basically like the, trying to go over all the scenic spots within a city and mm-hmm. um, kind of put a map with different priorities rather than the most efficient route through the city. You could go through the most scenic route in the city yeah. and things like that. Right. And, and it actually like I was thinking about that. I mean, the quality of life yeah. is really important and yeah, it does but, contribute to the, the whole population. Right. So something as simple as that can have like a huge impact. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look here, here Maybe was, not huge, but good, good impact. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think some of these local issues can really have big impact and a huge mm-hmm. impact because um, if you just I think sometimes people think very uh, kind of abstract about where they live and yeah. I think what they don't realize sometimes is that they have the power to actually create the world or really the community that they want to live in yeah and and not just a community that you're passing through. I th- you know, like I used to have that mentality of, oh yeah, I'm just gonna be here for a little bit, I'm gonna move on. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, a place like Clarkston is such a, you know, interesting place, because one, you know, half the city's foreign born. Yeah. Um, and so we have lots of challenges. You know, we have an, have an initiative for community policing that I'm working on um, that would allow more of our multilingual young people to sort of be involved in a junior police program. Oh, that's cool. That would be a step, a step ladder to actually getting police certification and then actually being hired by the police department in Clarkston because we're having trouble recruiting and retaining officers. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're also having trouble finding officers that speak, you know, the, the 15 different major languages that are spoken, that, you know, yeah, in the city. Yeah, and to actually have representation within the, the force, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's just, you know, it's like we have this, uh, I think, especially if you live in a city or a small city, um, you have, and even in Atlanta, because Atlanta's you know, has all these neighborhood planning units and has a lot of ways to get involved. Um, you know, we actually can do sort of small, um, very tangible like things that will, I think, radically change our lifestyle. Um, and some of it is, you know, like patio seating. Um, you know, we, uh, we're, we're, we've, we've had this, um, deprioritization of marijuana possession mm-hmm. for almost a year now. Um, yeah, and that's, I, I think that's, to, to me, it's been more criminal justice reform mm. and more um, just sort of like a, a, an acknowledgement to our community that, hey, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to bust you and yeah. give you a hard time for something that's not, that's, that's a nonviolent, yeah, victimless crime. It doesn't really have, you know, yeah. and so I think that just, you know, it, it creates like just that one policy, even though it, arguably wasn't necessarily like a, a, a big issue. Like we weren't mm-hmm. like arresting a lot of people for marijuana possession in Clarkston. Um, but it was, it was symbolically powerful gesture, so um, because it's, it sort of set the stage is that we'd like to live in a world where, you know, someone's not going to get taken to jail or, you know, have their life messed up because of something that isn't causing anyone any problems. Yeah. That's you really, know? and people, I think, you know, like that, that kind of collective energy where people can kind of, <sighs> You know, and it just like everyone, I mean, we just need to have more, you know, <sighs> more that's, that's my favorite uh, move in yoga. When you do your, like you lift your arms all the way up to the top and then you, you go <gasps> all the way down to the, your toes. Like if we did that every day, you know, at like work, um, then, you know, people would be like so much. One more time. Okay. So you gotta, you gotta, you gotta 
arms all the way up to the real brief, and you go, <gasps> all the way down, and I can't do it because I'm sitting down, but you hit your, <laughs> hit your toes. That's, we do that in yoga. Um, and, uh, you know, and so, you know, so we're, do, we're working on that. I do need um, that at work. I really do. <laughs> we're doing 100% clean energy, um, micro wow. farming, um, sustainability type of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. citywide composting. Like we're looking at every aspect of sustainability. Those are actually and how to pretty live. big things, right? That That's not normal. Oh I yeah, like for, yeah. I don't know how I'm going to pay for the citywide composting. Um, we'll figure that part out in a little bit. We're we're just studying the issue right now. So yeah. solar panels on the on the pool house, uh, energy efficiencies at the Clarkston Women's Club, mm-hmm. uh, getting the community center, um, you know, new light bulb. I mean, all these like you know, getting the electric uh, electric vehicles into our police fleet. Um, so all these things that we're going to be looking at and studying. Um, we're also we have a, a committee right now that's looking at our uh, cottage style ordinance that uh, would basically allow tiny houses uh, in Clarkston. I would move to Clarkston for that. Yeah, you should. You should, <laughs> and they'll be very affordable because. And I and I know Atlanta's been working on this for several years now. And mm. I got to be quite honest with you, the first couple of years that I sort of been following this tiny house thing, I was kind of like, why? Why can't? Why is this so hard? Yeah, why is it? Yeah. Like, why is it such a difficult thing to allow? A, tiny a 300 square foot house like is that does it really require complex zoning um and you know after looking at it and looking at our own ordinance in clarkston the the answer is um that it's not it's really not that complicated <laughs> it's not at all uh, and you know so just why like, are we doing these? yeah it was the same thing with like the the marijuana ordinance like when i looked at it it was a no-brainer like I really? looked at it and it was like, yeah, of course this is a, this is clearly allowed in state law, and this is clear. All you gotta do is this, this, and this. Um, and you know, unfortunately, Atlanta City Council is still you know discussing it over and have a lot of really strange um, kind of uh, oppositions um, to to the marijuana thing. Um, but the and, tiny and house just, thing. Can is, you explain exactly what that is? Because I feel like I'm not. For the for the marijuana clear. possession, yeah. What what yeah, was the okay. sh- change? That yeah. You made? So so uh, in short, um, there was a 1983 state law Mm. probably passed in march during the legislative session and i was born in march 1983 by the way (laughs) (laughs) that's very fortuitous uh and uh the law said the man was born that would take it down oh take it down (laughs) oh god Uh, well no actually here's the thing the law actually was kind of a liberalization in a way It, Mm. it, it basically gives concurrent jurisdiction to municipal court on possession of one ounce of marijuana or less. Okay. It's very specific. Yeah. So it basically says that if if someone commits the crime of possession of under an ounce of marijuana in Clarkston, then the police and the municipal court can punish it. And they don't have to refer it to the state court. You have a choice to also not punish it, it sounds like, or to do your own stipulation on it, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. So we can, we can set the punishment level. Right. And so before, um, the average fine in the municipal court, so we were actually, we were actually arresting people. Mm -hmm. Um, they were going to jail for the night. Uh, they were coming back the next day or next week for the municipal court. And they were, the judge was basically giving them a 600 to a thousand dollar fine. What? Yeah. And now the the maximum fine in municipal court is a thousand dollars. So, you know, that's just, that's just kind of how it is. A state law, you can only 
a thousand dollars is the, the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, people were getting arrested, their car was getting towed, uh, they may have missed a, a day of work. And then on top of that, they had to pay a thousand dollar fine, but most people don't have a thousand dollars laying around. So they, no. go, they go on probation. And then that probation has fees and percentages. It's, it's gotten a little bit better lately. Um, where the first, I think the first three months you can't charge fees or mm-hmm. can't char- charge like extra percentages. Um, but you know, still a thousand dollars, you know, for That's a minimum a, wage yeah. worker would yeah. take months and months and months and months to pay off. Um, and so it was really affecting people's, you know, pocketbooks and the city courts were getting a lot of money off of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we basically, uh, the way we wrote the ordinance was that the punishment, so we didn't make it legal or we didn't mm-hmm. decriminalize it, but the punishment would be a $75 fine. Mm. ticket basically a ticket only offense and then it would be a non-arrestable offense so if someone was just caught with possession of marijuana under an ounce um, they could not get arrested if that was the only crime they committed now because state law is very clear about like when you commit other crimes that anything at the lower level has to all travel to one court you can't split charges up into different Mm. courts and so basically what's happening now in Clarkston is if someone commits another crime and they have marijuana. And they have marijuana. All that has to go to the, the state, state court. Yeah. Um, and that, that makes total sense um, because the, the intent of the law was not to allow free-range drug yeah. use or to allow drug dealing in Clarkston. It was basically to say, look, individual people that aren't causing any, aren't harming anybody, you know, should not, be, wanna, should not be punitively yeah, punished yeah. Uh, for, for this uh, crime. And so, yeah, so if anyone drug dealing or using drugs or, you know, driving under the influence, all of that is illegal and will be prosecuted probably by the district attorney in DeKalb County, not by mayor of Clarkston. Um, so, you know, cautionary tale, you know, don't come to Clarkston to, you know, screw around. Um, <laughs> but we're also, again, we're not going to ruin your life or punitively yeah. punish you for something that's not a problem, yeah. you know, and I'd rather have my officers focus on stopping violent crime. Yeah on doing community policing, you know, actually, you know, doing things that are really going to make community, you know, Clarkston safer. So, you know, I thought it was pretty straightforward. Ticket only offense, <laughs> you know, what's the big deal? But are there other places that are doing similar things? Like, did you yes, pull any kind of inspiration? Of course, yeah. of course all of the West Coast is doing it. <laughs> um, but actually what really, what really yeah. inspired me um, and what actually what me got, got me saying, well, if they if they did it, then we should do it. And that was when I read la- uh, um, about this time two years ago uh, that the city of West Palm Beach passed a hundred dollar ticket for possession of marijuana. And West Palm Beach, if you're not ever been to Florida, West Palm Beach is the wealthy part. It's like it's like it's like near Mar-a-Lago, or it may yeah. even be be very close to Mar-a-Lago. But mm-hmm. it is where the rich and famous and the powerful live yeah. in Florida. I mean, it's it's its own little enclave. Mm. And so here we had an incredibly wealthy community, sort of basically saying, "Hey, you know, like marijuana possession is not a big deal." And I have like, to, I have to believe that some rich kids, some 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 rich kid, got arrested <laughs> or got in trouble, and it, daddy yeah. and mommy were like, hell no, <laughs> and so <laughs> they had some sort of golf, you know, golfing pact or something. They're all golfing yeah. probably on the you know the tenth hole, and, <laughs> and you know they're like, they're like, you know what we they're like do? I'll tell you what, you know, Donald, uh, you know. <laughs> 
we need to <laughs> we need to do something about that. You know, they're touching talking British accents because they were hoity-toity. Um, but uh, you know, so, so West West Palm Beach, you know, did it, and you were like, hey. Yeah. If they can do it, we can do it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So with the tiny house thing, yeah. you know, that that's uh, the only thing to really work out there is one, two in your ordinance to allow, you know, 300 square foot homes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can decide if you want it to be an accessory dwelling unit or not. That's sort of a different nuance, which mm-hmm. I think Atlanta is kind of tackling. Uh, and then the other, the big hurdle is in your zoning ordinance, allowing a prop, a parcel of land to be owned by one entity and for the houses to be owned separately. Communities, so, yeah. Yeah, and so it's kind of Because I know like, that that's a big, the big movement in the tiny home community, especially in Atlanta, is yeah. that they want to build a community like that, right? Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Well, I have to give it to Will at Tiny House Atlanta. Everyone should check check Tiny House Atlanta out because they're, they've been- on. Yeah, he'd be a great person to come on actually because um, you know they've given us a lot of really good information about you know what would make them willing to do a tiny house development. Like if you- you know, had these, this, this, and this in there, and they've been very helpful in mm. our ordinance rewrite. Um, this, you know, basically to make it feasible for there to be a thirty or forty or fifty home tiny house, community. you know, community mm-hmm. where you know it's very minimal parking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then my favorite, actually, the favorite, the, the favorite part of of tiny house Atlanta and Will's sort of, you know, designs they put together is like it, it, people always ask, well, what happens if you have, you know guests over or you know how do you entertain if you have a tiny house and it's like well that's that's how you develop the community and you have sort of like basically like other tiny houses that you can rent out or that you can you know uh, sign out you know for the the in-laws you know or mom and dad or grandma coming to visit Um, and so it turns into kind of you know not like it's not communal living Um, it's sort of like the Ameri- it's, it's sort of a more Americanized version of communal living. So yeah. you still kind of have your little space mm-hmm. that's your space. So it's still and individualized, it's, it's protected. but yeah. Um, it's, like, it's like only kind of socialist. Uh, <laughs> socialist light. <laughs> it is, yeah, it's communist light. It's, co- it's commune light, actually. Um, and so, but apparently the, the big issue with um, that the proper, the parcel being separate from the house is that the, the lenders and Fannie and Freddie, um, they won't, they won't give you a mortgage. And so if you can't, unless you're going to buy your tiny house outright, you know, then you, you know, if you're like most like millennial looking for starter homes, you need to borrow money yeah, to do it. And so, you know, once we kind of figured out those hurdles, you know, the rest is pretty, is, is kind of easy. So you would almost have to like get a loan like you would for a condo with like some kind of HOA or something. Yeah. That would be a weird thing to navigate. Yeah. I think, well, you see, I think you hit it right on the head. It's, it's very similar to like a townhome or a condo mm-hmm. kind yeah. of situation. So yeah. So there's agreements to, for the upkeep of the land, but the, the home, the home, the tiny home is mortgaged mm. and a separate loan. Weird. Yeah. Okay. So it's a little bit more complicated, but yeah. So, that, but so again, that's what we're working yeah. on. That's mm-hmm. one of the things we're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it for right now. <laughs> Those are the big ones. Yeah, so. there'll be other things. Oh, actually, yeah. So the um, my crazy idea that I have um, over the next maybe like three or four years mm. um, is to transition into a 36-hour work week. <laughs> okay, I'm definitely moving to Clarkston now. Now, we can't mandate it for everybody, but we would just, for our government, for our city government, we would have, you know, city employees have a 36-hour work, work week. Um, and, you know, I... To me, it's an it's 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 again it's a no brainer. Yeah. Because uh, if you read any of those studies mm-hmm. about like how often people log on to Facebook, 
while they're at work or like how much dead time exists in like the office environment. Yeah. It's like, just go ahead and give them four hours, you know, at the end of the day or make it, make it flexible because yeah. they're not going to do work in this four hours anyways. You're paying them for it. So you might as well make them happier because they feel like they have a little more control over it as mm-hmm. workers. They can go home early for the kid's soccer game or, you know, they can, you know, um, come to late when traffic isn't as bad. Mm. Um, you know, you give people flexibility and then all of a sudden, you know, at least from a competitive perspective, like I want the best people working in Clarkston. Like I want yeah. the best and brightest people working in Clarkston. And unfortunately we cannot pay city of Atlanta salaries. <laughs> so we got to even text them with all the other things. The patios, the tiny houses, the 36 hour work week. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's I basic was basic economics. Come on guys. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so last year we, we did pass a, a paid family medical leave mm. provision. Um, although I didn't get my way because I, what I wanted to, to do, I wanted to extend it. It was it only covers uh, for like for for maternity and paternity, mm-hmm. um, which is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and but so you guys do paternity, which is a big deal, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Atlanta does that too. So we were actually we modeled our uh, family medical leave at our city of Atlanta's. So city of Atlanta's had a, has a really good policy. Um, but the new paradigm Woo-hoo, right Atlanta. now, yeah. Well, no, Atlanta's a very progressive. Um, uh, but the new paradigm in sort of this uh, aging baby boomer, mm-hmm. you know, age of the next you know, the next thirty years, is that you're going to have a lot of retirees, and you got to have a lot of workers who are going to have to take care of mom and dad, or you know, or you know, maybe grandparents. Um, and so you're not going to need family medical leave for young people anymore. You're going to need them for you know our, our elders. Mm. And so you know, I, I want to know. I want to make sure that the employees that we have have the confidence to know that like if they had to go and you know take care of mom yeah in florida for a week then that that they're allowed to they're, they can go do that not sacrifice any pay and not risk being fired i think the the biggest thing is not risking being fired i mean i think a lot of people too would be flexible and like other issues but pto is a big deal um and i worked with this one um candidate recently who had that exact problem Uh, Her mother got very, very, or her father actually passed away and um, she wanted to take time off and spend with her family and they wouldn't give it to her. She literally had to quit her job because Mm -hmm. she couldn't get the the PTO or the medical leave. Um, And so Mm -hmm. as I was navigating this with her and trying to find the right home, that was like number one on her list was, I don't even care. Like, yes, I want the same amount of PTO that I have now, or maybe a little bit more, but like, I want them to care enough about me to be flexible you know, and like understand the situations or just allow me to work remotely because I'm an adult, (laughs) you know, like, and it's, it's a really hard thing to navigate when they get, well, I think some of them are changing because the, um, the millennial uh, cohort, which I'm barely a part of, I think it's 18 (laughs) to 35 skated right in Uh, there. Yeah. I remember when there was no Facebook, um, and there were were no cell phones. Um, me too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was that was that's the joke because uh, like you, you know you you know that you're barely a millennial or not a millennial when you know you told someone when you told someone you were gonna meet some, them somewhere at yeah. a certain time oh, you yeah. had to be there because there was no way to communicate with them <laughs> other, yeah. unless they somehow got to a payphone or something or the mm-hmm. pizza shop and borrowed the office phone. Um, but yeah, I think I think millennials are like thank thankfully thank God, you know, just changing the paradigm mm. and saying, you know, look, there is, there needs to be a, a, a work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously some, co- some companies are, are still are struggling ultimate. with it. Right. So it's, it's bizarre when they, when they don't in such like an information saturated, like job market, you know, everybody, you've got Glassdoor now you have, 
you know, you could rank people on Google now. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> you know, so realistically, yeah. like, it's crazy out there. Like, you have to do it. You have to now. There's not even an option. Yeah. I think Clarkson has a 4.8 on Facebook. <laughs> Well done, Mayor Ted. Well done. (laughs) I think very few people actually leave reviews, though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so shout out to you guys. I think you should. Go go leave a review on Clarkston. (laughs) And if you haven't been to Clarkston, go to Clarkston. (laughs) Now, the one one, uh, refuge coffee truck, uh, they've got thousands of reviews um and all like it's like all five stars yeah Uh, they're pretty yeah they had a a huge social media campaign it seemed like oh yeah they're great yeah they're like our they're like our top marketers (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i'm like i joked like i'm gonna borrow that photo you just took of you know and we're just gonna use that for for our marketing (laughs) for our marketing as well just copy paste (laughs) well hey are they they're clarkston based though right yeah, they uh, Revy's Coffee is great because um, they uh, they showed up about three years ago, mm-hmm. um, and there there's a corner lot right in downtown Clarkston. Mm-hmm. It was home to a used car dealership for thirty years, and it it was a blight, and you know it just it was potholes everywhere and mm-hmm. just a bunch of old kind of just sort of you know not that great cars, used cars. Um, yeah. You know, we still have a lot of auto repair shops in downtown Clarkston as well. So it's just the whole thing just didn't, this doesn't kind of mesh well. It was just like a downtown from the 1970s, you know, in <laughs> yeah. terms of like infrastructure and just sort of feel. Um, and, uh, you know, like the, the owner just sort of retired and said, I'm, I'm done and I'll let, I'll let y'all do your coffee stuff, you know, as long as you want. They took it and ran with it and started out with just sort of like basic kind of just coffee in their house, like their living room in Clarkston. And then it mm-hmm. turned into, they raised enough money to, get a food truck mm. that serves coffee and pastries. Um, I go there so often that, you know, uh, Leon, who's um, the Congolese refugee, who's the barista there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like several baristas from different countries and they do uh, refugee, you know, job training and, you know, um, you know, sort of instruction and mentorship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, Leon in his French accent is, you know, oh, Mr. Mayor, Mr. Mayor, <laughs> the mayor special, mayor special, and, uh, you know, and it's the it's it's a it's a medium just black coffee and a morning bun heated up. What's a morning bun? Cinnabon. Oh, it's a cinnabon. Yeah, this is, yeah. It's it's like a fr- it's all French pastry. Says for a some... nutritionist. What the heck? Hey, uh, Julia Childs said it best. <laughs> Everything in moderation, including moderation. <laughs> so morning bed every morning. So I can have a mayor's special. I don't have it. I don't do it every morning, but. <laughs> I go. I'll go at least once, or twice, once or twice a week. Sometimes three times a week. <clears throat> sometimes and maybe even four times, just depending on what's going on. <laughs> depending on how stressful that week is. <laughs> sometimes you need the mayor special a few more times. Um, awesome. Well, I, yeah. No, I definitely want to look into them too because that sounds really cool. It sounds like you guys have a lot of like businesses and groups that are really passionate about kind of the community and what you guys are building there too, and about empowering everyone there. Um, you know, just to, to kind of live normal lives, not as like a, I, th- that's the, the thing that I've, through my research, I've been really struck by. It seems like it's much more about um, sustainable kind of mentorship and development. It's not, mm-hmm. we, it's not, we feel bad for you. It's like, let's give you opportunities and let's yeah. work with you and help you, you know, really yeah. make your home here. Right. Yeah, it really is the best investment. Um, there's a, a great uh, book called Charity Detox that was written mm-hmm. by a gentleman named Bob Lupton. He actually came to Clarkston last year and, and spoke um, to a large gathering. And it was, you know, it was talking about sort of that, you know, that a lot of times 
you know, Americans and, you know, just people in general kind of get caught up in this sort of this charity sort of cycle where it's just like, it's just like, oh, let me just, you know, donate some clothes or, you know, let me throw some money at some organization um, or, you know, just sort of like triage, you know, type of work. That's a great, I love how you went straight to where I was going with that. (laughs) Like I couldn't word it well, but you're right. (laughs) Yeah. And so, I mean, the way he articulates it, and I think that, you know, a lot of the groups that work in Clarkson do, and I kind of see that sort of government in sort of the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, There's only so much triage that we can do, um, but the self-sufficiency and self-development really has to be a partnership Mm -hmm. and you can't, can't all just be one person doing it for the other person. Right. That's, that's the, um, the, that's, that's the slippery slope that a lot of conservatives Mm. think about when you talk about food stamps and, Mm. you know, they, that's, you know, Mitt Mitt Romney was talking about a society of takers, Mm. you know, and so there's a lot of people out there who are just like, Oh, they're just going to be taking for the rest of their lives. And, you know, I mean, like we can argue about that all day long. Um, but in Clarkston, um, you know, we're going to help people when they need help yeah. and we're going to support them when they need food and, um, and they need help with their rent you? or if yeah. they need, you know, we had a, one of our planning and zoning commission members, you know, had a real bad, you know, blood cancer. And so, you know, the community got together and has helped raise, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, uh, just to help pay for his medical bills. And so, you know, we don't consider that a handout. We consider that, to be helping out a neighbor. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the, the refugees, you know, they're our newest neighbors, but it doesn't make them sort of any less because they weren't born in Clarkston exactly. or just because yeah. they, you know, came from another country or speak a different language. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, like Refuge Coffee and the Friends of Refugees and, you know, a lot of the, the groups, um, and I think Clarkson as well, we're trying to sort of promote and maybe lead by example, right? Mm. You know, so this is the world that we want to live in. Um, we're a welcoming and compassionate city. These are the yeah. principles that are the core, um, you know, basis for which we make all of our decisions. Um, and so, you know, if you don't fit into that, you know, you don't have to stay and there's no wall or moat around Clarkston, <laughs> yeah. you know, and we're not going to like permit, you know, stop anyone from coming in. Yeah. Um, and we're not going to stop you from leaving. Um, and so, you know, as long as we can lay out the world in which, in the vision that, you know, of the community we want to live in and, and grow up in and, you know, heck, maybe even, you know, die in. I mean, I think, you know, there should be a sort of this, like you were saying, a, a long-term sort of strategy and to, to kind of get to that, you know, perfect society. Um, if any place can, you know, if any place does it, if Clarkston does it, where it's, Every major religion, mm. you know, Christians, Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, um, all living within, you know, just a half a mile of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, 40 different nationalities, 60 different languages. Um, all of the complexities that go into all of the labels that really around the world people are fighting about. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the breadth of human suffering is, um, you know, can be traced back to religion or ethnicity or resources or, you know, um, you know, these arbitrary labels that people put on, put on each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but if Clarkston can do it, you know, we can um, show a model of, you know, sustainability, of prosperity, um, of, you know, safety yeah. <laughs> at the same time, uh, but also opportunity and compassion, then, you know, that really gives me 
great hope for the world. Um, <laughs> there's no reason that the things that we're working on in Clarkston cannot be exported yeah. anywhere around the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not, there's, there's certain, it's a small scale that can be, yeah, this, this is very much a microcosm. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, we have opportunities to, to try different things. And so that's, that's going to be, that's the commitment I have is that we're not, you know, we're not going to stop like working. There's, I guarantee there'll always be something else for us to, to work on, yeah. you know, in pursuit of more perfect union, um, yeah. is, uh, you know, is exactly an accurate phrase. Wow. Yeah. It's, That's... it's always in pursuit. <laughs> well, I was going to talk to you about your future plans. It sounds like you've got your hands full for at least the near future. Yeah. I'll be mayor for like the next 40 years. Is that your plan? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, but really, I mean, like, do you have political aspirations beyond like, do you see yourself kind of taking this mantle further? I mean, no, no, I really want to be mayor for the next 40 years. Wow. Yeah. I mean, cause like where else, I mean, cause you know, you can go to legislature and you know, you write laws, but you don't really have any, you're just one of like 300 people up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I mean, the people who like doing that, you know, they like doing that. Um, <laughs> and uh, to me, it's like, it's kind of, it seems, you know, backing up on my, recommendation about patience um <laughs> you gotta be really patient <laughs> to be at the, the state capitol yeah. or in congress yeah um you know i wouldn't mind being governor that'd be pretty cool yeah um but you know then again i mean yeah, that that might be 40 years from now <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. when george is like we're progressive enough to elect uh you know a, a, so- with a, a socialist light uh <laughs> <laughs> a commune light governor. <laughs> uh, I, I just think the beard itself is controversial enough. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to um, I'm going to grow my beard out for at least another four years. Ho- hopefully, not eight years. This is my protest beard. <laughs> so, in, in, in solidarity with uh, with all the people <laughs> who, dis- who disapprove. <laughs> I love it. I love it. The protest beard. I wish I could grow one. Um, wow. I think we covered a lot. We really did. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Invite me back for part two. <laughs> yeah, we may very well have to. So you work for the Sierra Club now, and I'm, I'm just kind of curious, too, and this doesn't have to necessarily be on the record, but um, so what do you do? I'm the chapter director. What does that mean? The executive director of the Georgia chapter. So the Sierra Club is the country's oldest and largest environmental organization. Okay. Founded 125 years cool. ago. Sorry, I know. I have. I basically about it. have the John Muir beard. <laughs> you know John Muir. You heard of him? No. Okay. All right. Google John Muir. M U I R. And uh, te- John Muir and Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, John Muir is the one that convinced Teddy Roosevelt to start the national, like the the, the federal protection of lands. I have. I have heard of this. Person. Yeah. And the National Park Service was created, you know, under Woodrow Wilson. But yeah, the Sierra Club was the instigator. Because I've heard of the Sierra Club, like all when I was. It's huge up, in California, but in the West Coast, I never really knew what it was. It's just one yeah. of those things that you hear all the time. It was an it outings never. club. It was an outdoors club at first. Okay, so that's but in the, the modern context. era. Climate change is inhibiting the ability to go outdoors, and so we're oh. you know we've, we've turned into climate fighters and social justice warriors and paid protesters. <laughs> Paid protesters? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's a joke about Trump. Trump's always saying they're, they're paid protesters. And he's, he's partly right because people are like, paid. Damn, that's like my paid, dream job. I know, right? Yeah. People are paid to organize, hmm. but people who protest aren't paid. Like, yeah. Duh. Like, <laughs> but there are people who are like, I'm paid. I raise money to organize the environmental movement. Mm. So, and that would mean like 
meetings or like what? Yeah, so well, we're, we are launching our 100% Clean Cities Atlanta campaign in later May. And it basically is about getting the city council and mayor of Atlanta, you know, hopefully in the next year, um, to commit to 100% clean energy future. Interesting. I'm looking that up right now to you. Yeah, it's called Ready for 100. Uh-huh. Ready for 100 Sierra Club. But, uh, but yeah, it's basically, it's, it's a very audacious, audacious goal. Um, the goal is to get 100% clean energy by at least 2050. Wow, that or, is Or soon. sooner, you yeah. know, 33 years from now. But all, some cities are doing it, you know, quicker. Some are doing it by 2050. Interesting. And, uh, you know, it's like a, it's a planning process. So you just basically say, all right, here's our goal. We want to get there by this date, and we're going to start the plan. And so, you know, by year three, we'll have electric vehicles, mm. you know, throughout our fleet. And in year seven, every building will have solar panels. Mm. And How do you enforce this? Uh, it's called holding politicians accountable. <laughs> and that's it. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, the, you know, council members can get unelected and mm. mayors can get term limited. So 33 years, you'll have five mayors. Mm. Yeah, you'll have five different mayors over 33 years. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully this year, you know, I'll probably, I'll be mayor of Clarkson still, but, you know. <laughs> so I'll still be around. So, yeah. How are we going to hold them accountable? I'll be here. <laughs> I'll Don't be worry. here. Don't worry. Don't worry, Atlanta. I'll be over here. There was just... a smile, but it didn't quite reach the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be on the east side, uh, you know, of Atlanta looking, looking out for y'all. <laughs> Um, so calls to action, I, you know, I know we've, we've talked a lot about some of the things that you're doing, but, um, how can I, as just an individual contributor, how can I get involved? Yeah. So if you want to help refugees or if you want to meet refugees or be involved in that sort of that community, then I'd recommend, uh, looking up International Rescue Committee Atlanta, mm-hmm. IRC, uh, and New American Pathways. So those yeah. are both resettlement agencies. They work with the United Nations and the U.S. government to resettle refugees in Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, mainly in the Clarkson area. Okay. Um, and so there's great ways to get involved with there is as simple as donating clothes and furniture to sponsoring a family to doing English classes. I mean, there's all sorts of ways you can get involved. It's a very rich community, um, especially if you speak a different language, if you speak, you know, French or Arabic, those are the top two sort of languages that we're getting refugees from countries that speak those languages. And so, oh, so you can actually do like volunteer work and like help mm-hmm. out in person. Oh okay. yeah. Yeah. There's always need for translators and for, you know, people to help um, to kind of navigate yeah. the system. And so there's, yeah, so those two, um, are great for helping sort of in those initial phases of refugee resettlement, um, meet people when they really just first arrive um, Mm. into America. Um, And then if you were looking for sort of the longer term or sort of sustainable impact, um, you know, there's a group called Friends of Refugees, and they really focus on the self-sufficiency aspect of giving the the job training, um, the job sort of uh, wherewithal to go out and match their skills. A lot of times these refugees, you know, have amazing skills and degrees and, you know, backgrounds in their home countries, Mm. but, you know, just have to kind of navigate this sort of other kind of uh, labor markets. Um, And so the Friends of Refugees help connect employers who are looking for these skills with refugees who have the skills. Um, And so... um, What are some some examples of, like, um, interesting skill sets that you've kind of run into? Yeah, you know, we had all all sorts. Um, This one gentleman from Afghanistan, it was so moving because I met with Congressman Hank Johnson a couple weeks ago, and we delivered this congressional seal... It was the congressional seal. It was this. It was Laura. I'm, I'm like, you can't see me on the radio. So. Uh, <laughs> He's but it a was giant O with you his know. Arms. It was like probably like you know. Uh, it, was, it was a seal. It was it was a it was carved wood. 
Wow. And it was this beautifully, like, very detailed. And this is like the eagle as the seal, right? Mm-hmm. So it's intricately carved eagle. Um, and they gave it to the, the congressman as a, a gift from the Lantern Project, which, you know, trained um, refugees on, you know, um, cement masonry, uh, welding, uh, woodworking types of skills. And, like, yeah, these are skilled laborers. Basically, it's something that we have a huge shortage of, like, really, here in the U.S., it seems like. Uh, uh, well, yeah, well, it's, it's certainly under President Trump, I mean, we're losing all of these, you know, um, migrant workers <laughs> yeah. and yeah. maybe undocumented workers. So refugees are documented workers, mm-hmm. right? So, so they're ready. They're ready to work, like you know, within a couple of days of mm-hmm. getting their social security cards when they first arrive. Um, and so, yeah, so Friends of Refugees, great organization. Um, and then if you're interested in kind of like that longer term, like how do we like try to stop refugees and or try to like, you know, prevent, um, prevent yeah. refugees from ever happening, um, then we got to fight climate change. Um, that is that is the biggest threat and the biggest risk factor towards um, creating more instability around the world um, than any ISIS or any sort of dictatorial regime. I mean, climate change is affecting every corner of the globe. Um, and so, you know, get involved with the Sierra Club. And so the Sierra Club uh, is resisting Trump at every level because we're trying to stop the the, the rollbacks and preserve mm. the gains we've made over yeah. the last eight years. Um, but we're going on the offensive. We're so so here in Atlanta, we're going to be pushing for a 100% clean energy city campaign here in Atlanta to get the politicians. Woo! The mayor, yeah. <laughs> yes! The mayor, the city council, uh, to basically lay out this audacious goal that they want to see a 100% clean energy future for Atlanta by at least 2050, if not sooner. And then, you know, and in, in once they set this goal... Um, this is 30 years, guys. This 30 is, years. Yeah, 33 years from now. Um, and so, but, you know, and then, uh, then start a planning process for how to get there and then make sure that it's done in an equitable way. And so we don't want the gains of transit expansion or of solar energy, energy efficiency to be only be accumulated by, you know, the people who can afford it mm-hmm. and the people who have privilege yeah. you know it's got to be spread equitably across um and it this includes accessible yeah it's got to be accessible this includes affordable housing this includes mm-hmm. transit um developments that um have more affordable housing and that aren't just giveaways to developers you know yeah this means this means l- lower Modular carbon homes. footprints it means uh support you know working with Atlanta bicycle coalition yeah. to create more bike lanes and mm-hmm. walking opportunities the, the path foundation so this is sort of this multifaceted approach and you know Atlanta's so positioned for it because you know you have the belt line you have transit mm-hmm. expansion um you add in electric vehicles solar panels and energy efficiency and then Atlanta is like already halfway there if not mm-hmm. three-fourths of the way there um and the one pu- the one sort of piece of pollution um, that Atlanta suffers from more than anything else is air pollution. And if you take off, have more people walking and biking, taking transit or driving electric vehicles and having electric school buses and electric MARTA buses, mm. you know, we will have a crystal clear, breathable future for Atlanta. Wouldn't That's that be great? That's I can get behind. Come on. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice if you could just go outside and like, it's not a smog day. <laughs> it's not a red flag day. Yeah. It's not, if you have asthma or an old person, you can't go outside because you could die. <sighs> Will this help the pollen? <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, of course. If you if st- Fighting climate change will certainly stop um, the extreme swings. I mean, because what we're seeing is, basically we're seeing warmer weather sooner and it's messing up the cycles and so the pollen is so that's why everybody has allergies right now guys it's climate change yeah 
Yeah. That's it. Like, I mean, really. The, 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 the little zones on the map, you know, if you look at the back of the seed seed container, they have little planting zones. They're, they're changing, right? So they're just all, they're all fluctuating because it's getting warmer over here. It's getting cooler over there. <sighs> so yeah, so help the refugees out now. Help them with sustainable futures. And then let's stop climate change, please. Let's preserve this planet for future generations, including like yeah. ours. Because we already acknowledge that we're going to have replaceable organs <laughs> and we're going to live to be like 150 years old. Yeah. So this is like not just our grandchildren, this is our, our future as well. Yeah. <laughs> cool means I'm on board. Great. Oh, and then the only other thing is obviously you got to go to Clarkston, right? Yes. So yes. where are those places? Where do I have to go? Yeah, so come to Refuge Coffee Truck. It's a great place to get some coffee. Uh, order the Mayor Special. It's black coffee and morning bun. Um, Kathmandu Kitchen, the best Himalayan restaurant uh, in Atlanta. It's kind of Indian, uh, Bhutanese, Nepali food, sort of mm. all mixed together. Um, Abyssinia Cafe, great Ethiopian cafe coffee. Also vegan. Uh, they got vegetarian, vegan options. Uh, they got the injera platter. Um, they got lamb and chicken and all that kind of stuff too. Um, so that's great. Um, and uh, what was the other one? Brocket Pub. Brocket Pub is a good like American bar food. Um, but the owner Red is uh, her mom's from Lebanon, and so the falafel wrap is a Lebanese recipe, and it's amazing. Um, <laughs> and so even though she, you know, she's sort of an American girl, um, she kind of carries that. Yeah, that uh, that cultural heritage with her, um, and as a result, creates you know these amazing falafel wraps. Um, which you know, again, like let's let's just get get back to sort of like the whole like fear of refugees thing because the they they were worried about the Chinese, they were worried about the Irish, they were worried about mm -hmm. the Germans and the Italians, and if you just look at all over American history, you know, at some point we're like, oh, we can't have those Lebanese here, and then you know, thirty years later, they make you know amazing falafel sandwiches at the mm -hmm. American you know the american pub um so you know the 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 melting pot is working out just yeah. fine um and you know having refugees even from syria even from places mm -hmm. that are having terrorist attacks you know is more of a benefit to yes. our country yeah. now and in the long run um than any minute possibility of cost you know of yeah, yeah of attacks or of, of danger mm -hmm. so um yeah. so clarkson's Definitely living the benefits it. outweigh the cost, for sure. The costs are minute, and the benefits are very, very vast. So Yeah, benefits being good food, good music, good dance. Good people. Good people. Like, that's, that's what life is worth. That's why life is worth living, to experience those things. <laughs> well, on that note, I think that's a great time to wrap up. Um, so just to, to recap that call to action, support, get involved, um, definitely do something about climate change and visit Clarkston um, and kind of support that community there and what Mayor Ted's accomplishing out there. Yes. I'm your host, Veeps. And this is Mayor Ted. And now you know me. Yeah.